Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. Welcome to the house as they get the stage set up. I just want to introduce myself. I'm Katie Sexton. I'm the pastor's wife here at the house, and we're so glad that you chose to spend your Sunday morning here with us. We believe we're just a big extended uh, part of the family of God, and so jump right in. You are family to us. And so I get the honor to be able to launch this Lights On series, and uh, thankfully, it won't be just me up here. We have some much more qualified communicators in our church that are going to bravely uh, share their stories. And I think it's important for us to value each other's stories as we are family. We have to know each other's stories to truly be connected. Because really, we can come to church every day, every Sunday, and look nice, wash our face, wash our hair, and we put on a good show. But honestly, all of us have a story. And here at the house, we believe that your story matters. And we care about it. And we care about what God's done in your life, what he's doing in your life. Wherever you are on the journey, it matters to us. And so we want to partner with you in your journey. And we believe that this is going to be an impactful Sunday for all of us. Uh, It was a great first service. I can't wait for you to hear our panel. So panel, come on up. Everybody give them a hand. And really, as I say panel, that seems so formal. Uh, You know what? If you know us, we just want to invite you into our homes. Just pretend that you're in our homes at our dining room table. And we're just going to talk authentically and tell you a little bit about what Jesus and what the light of Jesus has done in our lives and why it's made a difference. Because I believe that it's important for us to continue to tell stories because Jesus showed us as an example He rarely ever spoke without telling a story. He knew that people hear the truth through stories. And he also knows that people are made up of more than just facts. The facts are great, but if there's not proof behind the facts, it is hard to engage and believe. And that's not what God asked us to do. He didn't say, here are the facts, believe. He said, here are the facts, but here are the stories that has changed their lives. So this is something that is the real deal. I'm telling you this, or I'm sharing my story with you, and I want you to know Jesus like I do because I know he is everything in my life, and he can be everything to you in your life. And so we have a group of people here that... Some of you may have seen in uh, running around. Some of you may serve on their serve teams. They may, you may serve on with them. You may be in a life group with them. But these are all people whom um, are familiar to the house, and uh, and they have some incredible stories on how they were living in darkness, and there were people strategically placed in their life and shined light, and it changed everything. And I think it's important for us to not get stale in our faith, to remember that the light that was powerful in the beginning of our story is still as powerful today. And I also believe that, you know what, it's not an accident that you're here today. It may be your first time in church, or it may be your first time back in a long time. And I just know that it's not an accident that you're here to hear these stories. I believe that the light can shine into your life, no matter how dark it looks, today. 
And so um, just, you know, as we get started, uh, you know, I was looking up some of the fears uh, that our society has labeled, and a few of them are um, mysophobia, which is the fear of dirt. Any germaphobes in the room? Need your sanitizer close, <laughs> you know? I think that uh, the hydrophobia is the fear of water. Claustrophobia is the fear of confined places, which I'm going to be super honest. I am delivered of all fears, but please do not put me in any confined places. <laughs> and then there is this one that I found interesting, was triskaidekaphobia, is the fear of the number 13, which I am totally okay with telling you if that's your fear. That is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a reason to be afraid. Okay, so here's this one, which is very common that we'll relate to, is nyclophobia, which is the fear of the darkness. And so, obviously, if you were a child and remember being afraid of the dark, or you have a child that needs a nightlight in their room, this is actually one of the fears that most of us relate to the most. And we understand that, you know, it's very common and really, honestly, very natural to be afraid of the dark. And but the crazy thing about it is, is sometimes I think that's exactly what Christians can also look like. We can also look like sometimes we can walk throughout our days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and it looks like we're kind of afraid of darkness. And I'm not obviously talking about the light on or off, but I'm talking about the darkness of the world. And I think that it's important for us to look in the scripture and say, God, what do you say about dark? What do you say about light? And how are we suppo supposed to engage with darkness? And so I think this Lights On series is going to have many different levels of uh, meeting you right where, in your, right where you are in your journey. But ultimately today, I am praying that we remember that the light is so much better than the darkness and the light is so much more powerful than the darkness. Um, you know, there was a story that I came across in studying for this panel and it was just this mom that uh, told her little boy to go get the broom for her, but it was dark, and he was afraid of the dark. And so she said, baby, you don't have to be afraid of the dark. Jesus is everywhere, and he helps you with anything you need help with. You don't have to be afraid. Go get the broom. And so he thought, okay, well, my mom has not steered me wrong yet. So he opens the door and says, Jesus, if you're out there, hand me the broom. And I think that he, like us, often think, oh, my gosh, this feels so scary. Jesus, just do it for me. Just go invite that person to church for me. Instead of thinking, I have the light inside of me, and it's more powerful than the dark, and I'm supposed to invite this person to church, or I'm supposed to call my old friend and say, you know what, you've been on my heart. I've been praying for you. Is there anything that I can pray specifically for you for? I don't know. There's many th different ways we can be the light, but oftentimes we get afraid of the light, and what we do is we know God asked us to do it, and we'll talk ourselves out of it, or we'll say, oh, God, please send somebody else. Just like that little boy said, hey, Jesus, will you take care of it for me? Will you go out there in the dark and face my fear and engage and go bring the broom to me? No, I think that what he was missing, and so what many of us are missing, is that Jesus, when we surrender our life to him, and he is the Lord of our life, then he is the light inside of us. And so when we engage the darkness, the light inside of us is so much more powerful than the dark. And so I think that as we start this series, Love Lights the Way and Lights On, there is um, a message that we all need to understand. We need to know what does the light do? What is Jesus asking of us and what does the light do? So let's look at John 1, 5, and it says, The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. And Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus asked us to be the light. He said, I am the light of the world. I'm inside of you. Now I want you to go be that to the world. Okay, so this would be like telling us here in this day and age, don't forget to pay your electricity bill. Okay, so to us, that would be a big deal because we don't want to live without electricity. Like, that's a big deal. But I think that what he was saying was every single home had a light. It was like one of the most important things that they had because, remember, they did not have electricity when he was speaking. And so he said it would be foolish for you to hide the light or to put it in a back room. You need to put it high and above so that the whole house can be lit. You don't put your bushel over it. You don't put your basket over it, which is something they understood as well because every home had a basket or a bushel to put over their light. And what that meant was is they were wanting it to be dark. And so Jesus is saying, don't want it to be dark. Remember that the light is better than the dark. Don't forget. Do not put, it, uh, don't put a, ba- a bushel over your light. Don't hide it. Be the light because it is more powerful than the darkness. And it's something that we should put out center so that as many people as possible can be affected by the light in us. And so, you know what? I could preach about being the light all day. There's a lot to say about it in the scripture. But most importantly is I want you to get the opportunity to get to know a little bit of the people up here's stories as if you're at the Saragusas having dinner and you said, hey, Jason, tell me your story. I want you to know a little bit about him and where his background is. So can you tell us a little bit, obviously, about your life, Jason, and then how your encounter with the light caused you to search for more? Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> so my journey uh, kind of begins when I was when I was a young young guy. Um, so I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, my mom and my dad uh, were not Christians. I've got three sisters. They were not they were not Christians, and, and we didn't you know we didn't go to church and we didn't we didn't wouldn't follow Jesus. Um, but uh, I mean, my my home life was was pretty pretty abnormal. My dad was a was a heroin addict, so. Um, a lot of turmoil between, you know, in our family, between my mom and, and my dad. And, um, I mean, ultimately, I mean, he, uh, you know, that addiction um, took his life. I mean, he, he committed suicide. Um, I was very young. Um, and that was, that was a really, really hard, hard time for my family. Um, all my sisters are older than me. Um, and, uh, you know, pretty much immediately after um, he passed, uh, my mom, you know, met a guy, started dating him. And, uh, you know, me and my sisters just kind of became, you know, second, I guess, second, you know, to that to that relationship. Um, so my older sisters, probably from from five years old till about 10 or so, um, they pretty much raised me. Um, and they I mean, they weren't Christians. They weren't going they weren't going to church or, you know, they weren't involved or, or anything. And, um, you know, um, eventually, you know, they're all older than me. They all graduated high school, you know, went on to college or, you know, live their own lives. Um, and it was, you know, just me and, and my mom and, and this guy, his name is Joe, um, who didn't, you know, wasn't a Christian. My mom wasn't a Christian. I didn't, you know, there was no Christianity in our home. So, um, basically, um, you know, they provided, you know, a roof over my head, you know, food in the refrigerator. Yeah. Um, and that, and that's, I mean, that's the relationship that we had for, you know, 
probably five I'm mean, ten ten years old until you know I'd uh you know gotten done with 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 everything but um so fast forward a few years um I'm eighteen years old joined the military joined the navy um and uh moved to virginia um I'm just living my life you know um I remember thinking back at that time because um, I'd heard you know Jesus throughout that time um I just remember thinking um you know, if, if, if God is so great and so awesome and, and he loves us so much, then why did he let all that bad stuff happen to me? Yeah. You know, I remember I remember thinking that. And that was, you know, I struggled with that for a really, really long time. Um, um, so fast forward, I get out of the Navy. Uh, I'm still living in Virginia, um, in Norfolk. And, um, you know, different, different people, you know, through probably a 10-year span, you know, spoken to my life, you know, uh, wow. I remember a, a taxi cab driver who, um, you know, I was taking a taxi, probably 20 minute taxi drive. Uh, you know, he, he was a Christian guy and he's like talking about Jesus and talking about God and, you know, talking about the love of Jesus and, and, and grace and just all that. Um, and I just remember thinking, man, how much longer we got till this taxi drives over? Uh, I'm just not wanting to hear it. You know what I mean? Like I, I just, I, I haven't seen it. I don't feel it. I don't know anything about it. Like, you know, you're you're preaching to someone who doesn't want any of that. You know what I mean? I I don't want it. That's not that's not me. You know, I'm 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 about me. I'm living for me. Um, I mean, I was in a dark place. I wasn't in a in a great place. I mean, my life pretty much consisted of, you know, hanging out with my friends, partying. You know, just living for me, doing me. Um, you know, and then I had a, I had a boss who was a Christian who spoke into my life, and you know, although he he wasn't like the greatest role model. I mean, he was a Christian guy, and he was, you know, he 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 talked about, you know, God's goodness and and God's grace and and just and just all of that. Um, and then I dated a girl who was a Christian, you know. So the po- the point of it is, like, each, you know, in different areas of my life, like, uh, you know, different ones were um, were speaking into my life. And you know, looking back on it now, you know, I realized that, you know, I was in the darkness. You know, Jesus was using these people. Um, as the light and he was pulling me towards him you know what I mean like he um, you know he was very persistent you know and, you know I, if, if you're not gonna you know come to me one way I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna use somebody else you know the taxi driver the boss the girl you know what I mean um, you know not not to sound weird or anything like that but I, um, I ha- there was a, a moment that I had um, you know around that time where I remember like laying in my bed and I was in my room, and I was just laying there, and I was fully awake. I mean, my eyes were open, um, and I just remember feeling, just feel, just having a, a grip of fear, and you know, not being able to move. I'm like literally just like just laying there and not being able to move, and it was it was it was terrifying to me at that time. Um, and the best way I could describe it is, you know, just just darkness all over me. You know what I mean? I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know God. I wasn't saved. But I remember at that particular moment like stopping and saying, you know what, in my mind, I'm, I can't talk, um, you know, Jesus, if you're real, you know, please come and help me, you know what I mean, yeah. and then I, and then I can move, um, so at that, at, at around that moment, you know, I started, I got a Bible, I, mean, I remember Joe, my mom's boyfriend, you know, you know, thinking, or saying to me, you know, what are you, what are you doing, why, why are you, why do you have that Bible, that's not real, you know, I mean, wh- why are you doing that, and I just remember just, you know, not really letting that affect me, you know, started going to different churches. And for me, it wasn't like an, an upper room or a uh, moment or, you know, in, in the church moment. It was it was me and different encounters with, with mm-hmm. Jesus, um, with God reaching out to me, you know, pulling me out of the darkness. 
Um, and I just remember just at a, a moment just, you know, giving up and, and, and thinking, you know, I, I can't do this on my own. You know, this is not, you know, I know that there's something more to my life. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Um, and what really helped me was, you know, I got a, I got a hold of a verse in the Bible, um, Romans uh, 10, 9 through 10, which says, um, you know, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, that Jesus is Lord um, and, you know, that he was raised from the dead. And, and that's how you're saved, you know. So w- once I got a hold of that verse, um, you know, I got plugged into Christian ministries. I met, met Katie and Stephen and, um, you know, met my wife. Um, not at the church, but I met my wife. I know. Woohoo. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, we have, you know, we have, uh, you know, uh, it's me and my wife been married 14 years. We have you know, four beautiful kids. Um, and, uh, you know, my life is a lot different now. But looking back on it, I know that, um, you know, Jesus was he was persistent. He was pulling me out, you know. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he's very persistent. Yeah. So. And I think that knowing that in your experience, how does that cause you to live differently now, Jason? Like every day, Monday, Tuesday at work. What does that change about you? Yeah, so for me, um, when I think of that, like, I don't want, I don't, you know, at certain points in my life, I've felt, you know, like, God, like, go pray for that person, go talk to that person, and if you know me, like, I'm not, like, a super, like, bubbly, outgoing, you know, personality, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, like, to the, to my core, like, I'm a kind of an introverted person, so, like, it's a little bit, you know, I, it's, it's a skill, you learn to, to do better yeah. at it, but, you know, getting up in front of, you know, a lot of people and, and speaking is not natural for me. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, so, so I think that, uh, like, I don't want to ever let that opportunity pass, you know, like, I feel like, because I know what an impact it was for, for me, you know, the taxi driver, the boss, the, yeah. you know, the, the girl, like, I don't want to ever, like, let that moment pass where I feel like I could, you know, God's speaking to me, hey, go talk to this person, go pray for mm-hmm. this person, like, I don't want that moment to pass because I know what a huge, uh, I mean, that could be the difference between someone getting saved and going to heaven and somebody not. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So that's a huge deal. Man, and that is so powerful. I think that it is super important for us to remember that, you know, the light draws us in. And if we can go back even in our stories, those of us in the room that are saved, if you can remember pivotal moments. The Holy Spirit will bring remembrance to you of pivotal moments, of pivotal stories that you're like, wow, that person, they, didn't, they weren't the whole story. But they were a part of the story. And they were stepping out, being the light for me. And I think that Jason is a perfect example of, you know, how could I not be the light for someone else? You know, I think that when you meet Jason now and you think, you know, he's got a good job, his wife's got a job, they have a nice home, they have nice family, it seems like they've never gone through anything hard. And you don't see that, oh, wow, he came from this type of home. You know, but it's important for us to know each other's stories to realize the transformational process is bigger than we can define. And we need to go back and remember what God has done. And, man, aren't y'all glad, those who know Jason, that he met Jesus? Yes. Yes, because he is a blessing to everybody that knows him. You know, we have been impacted, and I know you have too, uh, with the light that is inside of him because of his story and Jesus pursuing him and drawing him in. And, you know, that goes to my next question um, to Maggie. You know, looking back, Maggie, uh, were you a likely candidate that looked like light would have changed your darkness? Um, I think absolutely not. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, so if you guys know me now, I am a very outgoing person. Like, I love being on stage. Like, give me a microphone. I'll get up there. Um, <laughs> but um, back before I knew the Lord, I was just under a lot of fear and insecurity and just a lot of bondage that I didn't even know how to name. I didn't knew, know at the time where it came from. Um, and so when when the Lord started using specific people to pursue me, I did not look like someone who could walk into church. I probably looked like someone who needed Jesus, um, <laughs> but I did not look like someone who went to church or, uh, or would be welcomed at a church. Um, and so uh, just to give you a little bit of my background, so I was raised by a single mom. Um, and if any of you guys are single moms or are raised by single yes. moms, you know that they are the true superheroes. superheroes uh, they yes. work so hard. <laughs> um, and so uh, I was raised with my mom, and I had two older brothers. And so my oldest brother was 10 years older than me, and my other brother's three years older than me. And when I was um, when I was six years old, my oldest brother left and cut all ties with our family. And um, at the time, I didn't really understand that. I didn't know. Uh, why I, pr I still to this day don't know why and I probably never will um, but it was just kind of one of those things when I was small that was like this was the only sense of father figure that I had in my life and I didn't care the reason why like where's my brother <laughs> and yeah. so that's all I really cared about um, and so uh, going through kind of a grieving process for my brother at that very young age um, really affected me and so then a few years later when I was 10 years old uh, my mom moved our whole family to Maine and uh, if, I've, if any of you guys have ever lived in the south and then also lived in the north you know it's a very large culture shock um, and so uh, when I got up there it was just like we're in a brand new place uh, my brother and I experienced actually quite a bit of bullying while we were there just because we were very different we walked into a school of 300 people kindergarten through 12th grade and it was very very weird for someone to move a, you know two towns over to this school it was very very strange for someone to move across the country to go there and so um, it was it was a time where uh, not only was everything kind of uprooted and everything changed for me, but my mom also got very, very sick during that time. Um, and we moved there in August, I think by October, she was being airlifted to a town that was several hours away um, to have a tumor removed. And so um, through the whole six years that we lived there, my mom had five major surgeries. Wow. And so we, um, we very much had to grow up a lot quicker than we wanted to, and certainly much quicker than she ever wanted us to. And um, that was just a really hard season for our family. Um, and so, uh, when I was 14, we were still living in Maine, my other brother also left the family and cut all ties. And so this was just kind of me reliving all of this grief mm -hmm. that I had experienced as a young child, reliving it again with another brother who I adored. Um, and so, y'all, I came prepared. <laughs> Sometimes you have to just know yourself. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, so yeah, at, at that time, the bullying had gotten at, to such a place in school where my mom actually uh, agreed to let me go to a boarding school because she was fearful for my life. Uh, she knew that I was very suicidal during that time, and um, she made a very hard choice and had to let me go to boarding school when I was 14. And so um, 
Of course, I was 14. I thought that I was definitely mature enough to handle all of this <laughs> and uh, that I was going to be just fine. Um, but because of the, the ways that my identity had been challenged, uh, I really clung to I'm smart. Like, that's the one thing that I know. Academics are the thing that can define me because I'm good at that, and that's always going to be okay. And in that year, that notion of me being smart got challenged so much and completely got torn down. Um, and so I, I ended that school year in this very dark place where I never wanted to leave my room. I was never engaging with people. Um, and I was just, I was in this very, very dark place. And, and it caused me to reach out to a friend that I had there at school um, to actually start going to church. Um, because I knew that this girl was actually like kind of forced to go to church by her parents. Her parents were like checking in with our RAs to make sure that she was going. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of like checked out a few different denominations. I, I had kind of a loosely Catholic background. And so church was familiar enough to me that I was like, maybe I'll find some comfort there. Um, and I just kind of didn't. And um, so after my junior year of high school, my mom and I moved back down to Arkansas, where I experienced yet another culture shock, uh, <laughs> where I came into this uh, dorm situation. I was again in boarding school, um, and I came into this dorm situation where I met these friends who were voluntarily going to church, and that was such a foreign concept to me. I did not understand it. I had been not living in the Bible Belt for so long <laughs> that I just did not understand at all why teenagers would go to church if they're not being forced to by their parents. Um, and so it was through these friends, uh, Emily and Haley, that I met at, uh, at school who invited me to church pretty persistently. Um, and at the time, I was actually uh, in kind of a uh, Catholic confirmation class, so I wasn't able to go to Sunday services, but um, I, I, they took me to this event, uh, Fields of Faith, and it was there that I encountered um, the love of God for the first time. I just remember they were singing How He Loves, and, you know, coming from a Catholic background, I was very familiar with the power of God. I was very familiar with the fear of God, but I was not familiar with this loving Lord who just wanted to shower me with love and help me. And so um, I remember having an encounter with the Lord that night and making a pretty conscious decision to not pursue it. Um, I, I was just so wrapped up in my own insecurities and so wrapped up in my own darkness that I went, surely there's another way out. You know, I was in this new place for the first time. I had a boyfriend for the first time, so obviously that was going to be the solution to everything. <laughs> and um, so I, I made a pretty conscious decision to kind of put off my faith. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it was this, it was just this season where the Lord was actively pursuing me and using my friends to actively pursue me again and again and again. And so by the time I finally cut off that really toxic relationship that I was in and um, was able to confide in my friend and tell her, you know, I know that I'm in the wrong place. I know that this is not going to be the light, the solution that I need. Um, she was just able to encourage me consistently. And so um, it was actually uh, Emily's parents who gifted me with the uh, trip to <laughs> our Christian summer camp uh, where I eventually got saved. And so um, I think that that, that that speaks to a couple different things. The first thing is, like, don't be afraid to be persistent. Yes. Because, number one, if you see a person who is um, – 
kind of a lost cause who's very swallowed in their darkness, you don't have to feel like you have to sell Christianity as an easy fix. Because the fact is they've probably already tried every easy fix the world has to offer, and it's failed. And so I just know that when, you know, when my friends were approaching me about Christianity, they didn't have to sell it as something that was going to be easy because I'd already done the hard thing, and it wasn't working. And so um, I think it's just really important to remember that when you you look at people, they're either going to look like, you know, if they don't know the Lord, they're either going to look like a lost cause or they're going to look like a good person. And yeah. both of those people yeah. <laughs> equally need yes. Jesus. Yes. And so I think it's just important to remember that you don't need to be bound by fear. You don't need to be bound by um, fear of rejection because ultimately, it, if you get rejected, it's not, it's really not even them rejecting you. It's That's the darkness right. that they're bound by. Yeah. And so I know that all of the times that I was rejecting church and rejecting the Lord, it was really just my own defense mechanisms mm-hmm. that I had built up going, oh, well, I can't ask for help, and I have to be fiercely independent, and I have to do all these things. Um, But I think ultimately, like, that's what the Lord has has taught me because now I'm in a totally different place, and it has taken years for the Lord to begin to break off those chains that I was under that caused me to put off my Christianity for so long and to say no for Mm -hmm. so long. Um, But really it just came down to someone being brave enough to tell me that I didn't have to earn it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it obviously, um, we're honored to have Emily Imhoff in the room because she is the the young girl whom, and Emily and her husband actually were a part of our church when we first started, and they have um, moved to, to off <laughs> to uh, continue their careers and their education, and we're so proud of them. But um, but I'm uh, I'm gonna cry because Emily's crying. <laughs> But um, I think that what is awesome about what Maggie just said, all of it was awesome, but just the fact that oftentimes as Christians, what we do is we think um, they're good, they're probably already saved, and then they're, oh my gosh, they don't want Jesus, they love the world, they love their darkness, instead of saying everybody needs Jesus, And so if you're good, you still need Jesus because we all know that there are hidden places in our hearts that we don't show. And if you are, do look like a lost cause, like you're like, okay, they're not ready. We may not be their whole story, but we are a part of their story. And if they encounter us, they're supposed to encounter light. And we're not afraid of their darkness getting on us. We are staying centered in the fact that Jesus is our light and nothing can take away the light that's inside of us. And so I think that um, obviously I know specifically that uh, Courtney and Emily's parents sponsored Maggie financially to go to that summer camp. And I thought, wow, what a step of obedience and faith on their part to say, I'm going to spend money and invest in this person that doesn't even know or have any signs that she wants Jesus. And I'm just going to go ahead in faith and send her and see what God does. And I think sometimes that's the disconnect because we feel like we're responsible for all of it. We, we, we feel like we're responsible for the results. And we're not. We're only responsible to obey and invite and ask and engage. And then the Holy Spirit and his great power does what he does. And I think each and every one of us who have experienced the light can attest to that part. Uh, but Maggie, thank you for sharing that. I think that was super powerful. 
Um, and, you know, obviously that brings us to our next point that light is no respecter of darkness. Light is not afraid of the darkness. Light is more powerful than the darkness. And the light looks at all darkness as less powerful than the light. And so I think that light is no respecter of darkness. So Coretta, as we continue in your story, what did light look like? So glad you asked. <laughs> um, so for me, light looked very practical. Um, and I had plenty of light moments, mm -hmm. um, and they were very pivotal in my life. And Nearly all of them, y'all, didn't happen in church, but they happened in community. They happened in very practical places mm -hmm. that I didn't really know that I needed light because mm -hmm. I really didn't even know I was in darkness. Um, I was this lost lady that was trying to be a great mom. I was a broken wife at the time, and I didn't realize that I just felt like a victim, and I really mm -hmm. engaged from that victim mentality. Um, but John, chap John chapter 13, verse 35, now is very clear. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And for me, it looked very loving, non-judgmental. It was very practical. And then by Coretology, it looked like a blessing <laughs> that it could only be explained by God, like God could only do this for mm -hmm. me. Um, and that's how I kind of define what a blessing is. Um, it brings me no sorrow, but only God can do it. Wow. But I want to share a story. Um, and last, last service, Adesia was sitting right in front of me, and I thought, oh, man, that's going to make it harder. But now I feel like it brought me a little comfort. Um, so Adesia's my daughter. And um, at the, during this time, Adesia was about five or six. She was in kindergarten. And I was in a very abusive um, marriage. So I joined the Navy to run. Um, and also the Navy became a very practical light for me um, as I think back on it. But I joined the Navy to kind of get away. So as a result of that, I had to leave Adasia. Um, and when I left Adasia, I had went out to sea for probably about nine months the first time I checked on board my ship. Um, so it was a very long time. And it was almost about a year that I had left Adasia behind. But when I got back and I got settled, I said, you know what, I'm going to get my baby. I didn't really have a plan, but I knew the end result was I wanted my baby with me. Um, there was some risk involved of me coming to get her, and of course I have no time to go into that, but I knew I had to do what I needed to do. So I looped my husband Jermaine in, and we drove from Norfolk, Virginia to Fort Smith, Arkansas on a four-day weekend. It's about 18-hour trip and I was coming to get my baby, and I needed to go out to see that next Tuesday <laughs> with no plan for my daughter. So we come to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and we get Adasia. Now keep in mind, I had left Adasia, so she wasn't expecting me. She knew that I was her mom. We didn't have FaceTime and stuff like that back mm -hmm. then, so her remembrance of me was the last time she seen me. Um, and so she's looking like, okay, I know her. I know she's my mom, but she's so used to her dad or her grandmother picking her up. And I'm checking her out of school because, remember, there's some risk involved. I had to sneak in and sneak out. So we check Adasia out of school, and we get right on the road, and we drive. And so I know in Adasia's mind, and we talked about this before, she's just thinking, like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. So I bring her back, 
and I need to get her enrolled in school that Monday. And um, the school is actually right across the street from the apartments I was living in. So I go and I enroll her in school. And as I'm enrolling her in school, they introduce me to this lady. Her name is Ivy Yancey. And she's the parent liaison. And so I'm telling her my story. And, of course, I'm emotional because, remember, guys, I am broken right now. Yeah. I didn't really realize that I needed light. I didn't realize that I needed Jesus, but I knew that I was in a bad place and I just needed some help. Yeah. Like whatever that looked like, send mm -hmm. it. And I didn't even know to ask God for it. I didn't know enough to say, God, I need your help. Wow. But I knew I needed some safety and protection for my daughter because I had to go out to sea on Tuesday. Now, remember, going out to sea is very critical. I can't just leave because when you check on board a ship, the only thing that's allowed is what's issued to you and your sea bag. And they don't really care about anything else. So I talked to this lady, and she says, hey, why don't you come over to our house this evening, and you can meet our family, and we'll take care of your daughter when you go out to sea. Wow. So I don't know these people. I'm new to the area. I don't even know anybody that knows them. Wow. You know, you usually can check wow. your resources, right? <laughs> but God knew them. Wow. He knew their heart. He knew their motives. He knew them. And they knew God. And so I go over and we hang out with them. And that was our meet and greet. And the <laughs> next day I needed to go out to sea. And so they took care of my daughter. And from that day forward, every time I went out to sea, every time anything came up, I had to be at work in the morning. They would pick her up from school. Whatever I needed, they were there. Wow. And so when I asked them, you know, hey, how much do I need to pay you? Because it was very typical for people to need that kind of help. And so mm -hmm. people in those military areas, they know, oh, I can make some extra money to take care of people's kids. She said, baby, we work for the Lord. <laughs> you don't owe us nothing. And y'all, I didn't realize it at the time. And I know now, and even when I look back, I was in such a dark place. Mm. I was stepping out on faith and didn't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I was walking in faith and didn't even know it. I had to trust God mm -hmm. and leave my baby. And that's how it really looked for me from then on. You know, God was very practical, very loving, and he met me exactly where I was. Absolutely. And I mean, man, miracle story, y'all. Miracle. I mean, that there's nothing but what you can say is God. But God stepped in and changed the situation. But Coretta, obviously I have a quick question. What would you say to someone in the audience today that says, you know what, I don't have anything super spiritual to give. I don't, I, I, do I have something to give that makes a difference? What would you say? I would say God don't give out useless gifts. We all have something and there's a market for it. Absolutely. You know, I think that it's important for us to remember that, you know, this faith that we have, it's not for super special people, super gifted people. The beauty of the cross is that he died for all of us regular people. <laughs> and our, he was willing to sacrifice for us and then say, hey, come be on my team, even though we were unqualified even though we, did, we didn't feel like we had anything to give. And so what I think that what I want us to engage in as we come and talk about Lights On this next couple of weeks is that, you know, whatever we have, even if it's natural, if God touches it, like let's say we give it to God, 
God can touch it and make it supernatural. And that supernatural is what changes lives. It's not that it started out looking supernatural. It looked like love. And that's what light looks like. It looks like love. And I think that's something that each and every one of us can do. I love how Coretta pointed out it wasn't in a church service. Like we, get, we see people saved here every week on Sunday mornings, and we love that. That's exciting, and that's a part of some people's stories. But some people's stories mean they met someone on Monday at school, Tuesday at work, Wednesday at the grocery store. And those people they're meeting that is the light is us. And so we have to remember the value of what God's given us, even if it looks natural to us. It's, what, it's when we give it to him that makes the difference. And so I love what she said, and that brings me to my next question. Uh, Spencer, um, could you turn the light on in your own strength? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> No, yeah, I was, um, I have actually a, a different story than all of these three, even though I can't believe I have to come behind these three, and were, those were <laughs> fantastic. Um, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I was actually adopted by my grandparents from an unwilling and uncapable mother. Um, and growing up, I just felt like I always had to prove something because of that struggle with abandonment from my mom, from the woman that birthed me. And I always had this need within me, with it, whether it was sports or, I don't know if you see all a while back, I was dancing. Um, <laughs> that I had to prove something, that whatever I did to everyone else that was looking around at school, that I had to show something. There's something I had to show for it. I had to prove it, I had to prove it. And really, um, it came about the end of my senior year in high school. Um, I knew a girl, I don't know if you know her, her name is Victoria Seal. Um, and she kept inviting me to her church. And at the time, I was actually going to a church in the area, and it still had to do with me. You know, I was in it, but it didn't have anything to do with Christ or anything, you know, any relationship or anything like that in any community. And she kept inviting me to her church, and I was like, I'm not coming to your dang church. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't care. <laughs> and after like nine months, I kid you not, inviting me to her church over and over wow. and over again, I came to this church, and it was at the old building. And I remember I came in and I was just in one of these seats, just like any one of you guys right now. And Stephen got up to preach and I was absolutely shaken, absolutely moved. I was just, I mean, I cried like the whole time. I'm not going to lie. It was, yeah, it was bad, um, but good. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Um, and I knew in that moment, he did an altar call at the end of it that I had to surrender my life to Christ. And I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And I knew that that's just what it was, that this is where I'm called, this is my purpose in life, and this is the only thing that matters. Wow. Wow. And I think that that uh, obviously leads me to the next question of, was Victoria Seals' invite the only light that you saw? Absolutely not. There's another man by the name of Adam Clausing over here in the front row. He, um, I actually had a supernatural encounter with God at the University of Arkansas my first semester at college where I heard his voice. He drew me out, and I texted Stephen out of, like, shock and freak out and I was like I don't think that just happened was that real was uh, you know and he actually connected me with Adam who then had called me um, and was like hey actually God kind of put you on my heart and let's meet up and so we did and now he's a he's a mentor and a friend and he had walked me in that light from the darkness that I was from wow well I think that that is the the whole concept again of like sometimes it's multiple lights that change our lives mm -hmm. and you know we're like oh they got saved awesome great 
well, there's more light to be shown. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we n we're never trying to overanalyze our light. <laughs> we're just wanting to be the light all the time to everybody. And so I think that that's another one is we think that we can have a, a rest light. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that there's not rest in Jesus. There is. We find rest in Jesus. It actually says he is the rest. He's the fulfillment of the Sabbath, which was the rest. And so there's so much rest in Jesus. And I think that ultimately, Spencer, you know, ta you know just bringing that up, what, when you were in the world and when you were trying to prove yourself, was there any rest? No, uh, there was no peace. Um, everything that I was doing, like Maggie had said, I tried the world's way. I tried every way. I tried, I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but like anything you can name, that, yeah, I tried it. Um, and it didn't work. It really didn't work. Yeah. Um, and so if you're sitting in that seat right now and you're kind of questioning Christianity, you're kind of like, I don't know about all this. I don't really know. And not about this Jesus thing. And I promise you, he is everything. And wow. if you surrender your life, you will not. Yeah, you'll love it. Yes. Yes. And so we are wrapping up. But I do think that, you know, you may be sitting in the seat and you are a Christian and you're wondering, like, what should I do if I feel like to invite a friend or uh, calling somebody out of the blue and saying, hey, you are on my heart. Like, I think that it's important for us that do have the light to remember that that step of obedience could mean a Jason, a Coretta, a Maggie, a Spencer. And I think that that moves us to action. And each and every one of us may have a different step to take after this service. I think some people in the chairs, may th there may be somebody that has not surrendered their life to Jesus yet. And this is your day and this is your step to do that. And some of you may have said, you've walked in the building and I'm running from Jesus and I know I am. Or I'm just searching for more and this is your day. But then for others, I think that it speaks to anybody sitting in comfortability. If you feel comfortable in your Christian faith right now and you heard these stories and thought, maybe God is asking me to impact the people around me. And maybe it's not as hard as I think. Maybe it's just as the start is just given what I have. Maybe it's just overcoming my fear or my introverted personality and just speaking up. And so I think that there's, you know, many different people in the room. You may be in the midst of another story. Maybe you say, you know what, I've, I've met Jesus, I've surrendered my life, but I'm actually in another piece of my story that's really heavy, and all I want to do uh, today is to give up. And I hope that today's stories encourage you to remember the light, that you can choose to go again, to take one more step, to know that God has not done with your story. He's still working on your behalf. He's still pursuing you. He's still listening to your prayers. He's still answering you, even if you feel like you're in a waiting season. Even if you feel like the world is against you right now, remember the power of the light. Because that power is overcoming even the darkness that you may be facing today. And for those who you feel like, I am done with hiding my light. I'm done with putting the bushel over it because I prefer darkness over the light. 
And that means a lot to different people, little different things to uh, different people. But there are some people whom have encountered the light and have accepted the light, but they are choosing to want and like the darkness. And I just want to remind you that there's no freedom in that. There's only bondage in the darkness. So this is your opportunity to step out of the dark into the light this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.